the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost. I am Mohammed Nala of MoKnows.com. Mo is one of the most respected macro analysts to come out of South Africa. He is now in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets expertise. Together, we will unpack the biggest trends and issues and scratch beneath the surface to bring you our insights and share our love and passion for markets and investments. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Welcome to Magic Markets. Welcome to episode 33 of Magic Markets, hot off the heels of a really great and very passionate show last week about ESG, where we had to officially bleep out our first swear word. Uh, What listeners don't know is that Mo and I have to hold back sometimes on this show, and our private conversations might have more bleeps than you would think, and especially this week, certainly from my side, because watching my stock portfolio, specifically the speculative end of things, has been rather painful, and I think anyone who's been invested in Chinese tech stocks over the past week has also probably let out some words that they would prefer that their children don't learn just yet. Uh, Mo, would you say that that's a fair reflection of the week uh, you've had as well? Because that's certainly been my week. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, luckily we had a, a nice public holiday-laden weekend up here in North America, so that, that blunts the edges a little bit. Uh, but I think, like you say, anyone who's had exposure to, to Chinese stocks uh, today as we play catch up, you know, we're recording this just straight after a long weekend up here. You know, North American markets are playing catch up and that pressure has definitely come through on the likes of your your big Chinese names. Pretty much anything with exposure out to the Chinese region, to try Chinese regulatory changes uh, is really getting a bit of a smack today. I think most of our listeners will probably know this, but some may not. And that is, if you have a South African retirement fund, which anyone listening in South Africa probably does, there's a very good probability that a big chunk of it is invested in NASPAS process, which is essentially a big convoluted holding structure that eventually lands up in a company called Tencent, which is a Chinese internet giant of note and has been a fabulous growth story over the years, but has definitely lost its shine a little bit lately. And there's a bit of a Chinese discount that's been applied. And Tencent isn't even the worst story, is it? I mean, probably the biggest shock over the last week has been a little ride-hailing app called Didi, which people wouldn't have uh, necessarily heard about before this week. And uh, when we used to say do your Didi in corporate finance, it meant due diligence. And perhaps that applies a lot at the moment in the context of Chinese stocks, right? Yeah, so so Didi again for the listeners not familiar, it's it's effectively the Uber of of China, and that's Didi like D I D I. Um, set uh, had an IPO uh, up on uh, on uh, the U.S. markets. Uh, they effectively have the majority ride hailing. Uh, business in China, and so it's actually a great business. I mean, if if you have a look at it, you know the one interesting thing I think that that Didi was showing that a lot of companies in that tech space don't show globally is that Didi was actually profitable. Uh, they're profitable in the Q1 of, of this last year. So, you know, it's not one of those tech unicorns where you're going to be waiting for years and years before you actually start to see the returns start to come through. Uh, as a business, it makes money. Uh, what's happened here, though, is that they, they've listed and on listing, literally the, the very next day, on the same day, Chinese authorities come out and say, ah, we've got some concerns around data sharing, you know, and, and that sensitivity has then led Chinese authorities to restrict Didi from, from being being 
offered on various app platforms. Uh, and, and that has hit the stock. It's down 20% uh, on the day. As, as I indicated, U.S. markets are now catching up to, to Asian markets because they were closed yesterday. Uh, and that's got to hurt. But it's not just hurt Didi. It's actually hurt Didi. It's hurt Tencent. It's hurt uh, Alibaba, for example. It's anything with a Chinese flavor. And I guess it, it raises or brings to the fore the whole risk around, you know, there is regulatory risk in China. Uh, people want exposure to this massive Chinese growth engine. It's something we've spoken about on the show a number of times is that you've got to look at China with a different lens. You've got to understand how the Chinese operate, uh, the kind of cycles that Chinese policy tends to take over a long period of time. I've written a long article about some of this stuff on monos.com for those that are interested. And I think that's just really a replay of some of those themes that people tend to forget. And then it comes back in, in this kind of incident. And all that ends up happening is for every dollar earned by Alibaba, investors just start putting less value on that dollar compared to a dollar earned by an Amazon, for example. I mean, I thought it was hilarious the other day. So I did research on Didi over the weekend. I was writing about it for Ents. And suddenly I got onto Facebook and guess what? Tons of adverts hitting me for Didi South Africa. So you have this incredible situation where you have a Chinese company that's getting nailed over data protection and then Facebook, which has just won some really important antitrust cases in the US. Red, heard, who knows what. Sometimes I think Zuckerberg's sitting in my lounge listening to me and uh, starts hitting me with adverts for Didi based on their ability to access my data. I mean, it's just quite incredible, actually, this world we live in and this West versus East right now. And, and clearly China's a massive growth area, but... The Chinese government's making it really difficult to get excited about some of these stocks. Uh, I bought the Alibaba dip last week just before this DD news broke. So that was beautiful timing, although by no means the worst uh, example in my portfolio this week. So we can touch on that. Um, oh, you've also got some, uh, some other Chinese stocks in your portfolio that have caused you some pain, haven't you? I think I'll, you know, thanks for rubbing salt in the wound, goes. But I mean, let's, we've always had very honest conversations with our, our listeners here. It's stuff we've spoken about on, on the podcast as well. You know, I, I own some Alibaba. Uh, I also own some Tencent. I also own a, a Chinese gaming stock, which is called Huya. Uh, and Huya is part of the Tencent ecosystem. You know, they were looking at actually merging with one of the other large gaming stocks in China. And now Chinese authorities have come out saying, mm, we're not happy with, with what Tencent has done to try and address, you know, monopolistic, uh, monopolistic risks in that industry. And so now they're actually stopping that merger from going ahead. Uh, what I want to highlight, I mean, yes, we can always look at, at some of those, those absolute pearls in the portfolio. I mean, they've, they've taken a bath in the last in the last couple of months uh, it's not been the best place to be invested but the question you have to ask yourself is what's the longer term view you know and I, that's why I want to zoom out I like to look at things with a macro lens on and it's it's really highlighted a couple of touch points so when you're looking at China what's been happening in China in this kind of tech space or even just generally in the market space there is a view out there that the Chinese are deliberately targeting any company that seems to be listing it's a Chinese company it's listing on a US exchange we're going to target them and I don't necessarily think that's the case I think, yes, there might be some merit to that. Obviously, the Chinese would probably prefer to have those companies listed in Hong Kong, for example, where they've got much more direct control. Uh, and also, it's, it's part of building up Chinese capital markets. But some of the other flashpoints I think we really need to be aware of here is that big data is big business. Uh, the, the tension points between China and the West, for example, in particular the United States, has come to a fore when you look at aspects like, for example, the whole semiconductor issue. 
you know, there's there's this whole risk around the world's largest producer of semiconductors being Taiwan Semiconductor. Uh, and we know that China claims Taiwan as part of China. So that's a flashpoint. That's something that you've got to be aware of because that can filter through very directly into every single industry from small appliances out to motor vehicles like we've seen recently. But then there's also the issues around cross-border data transfers. Like you say, you know, you're searching Didi, for example, but tech companies in the US, in China, are all vying for this data. And if China believes that that data presents any vulnerabilities to their national security, they're actually going to flag these issues. So what is very disturbing for me in this whole Didi incident is supposedly management at Didi were informed of the regulator's concerns a few months ago and were asked specifically to delay the IPO. And they went ahead with that. So in fact, I would turn it on its head and say, for me, the bigger concern or risk flag here is why did management go ahead if the regulator in their country where they operate actually gave them a sound of caution. What's the rush? Was was it insiders looking to extract some value? Those kind of risk flags start to pop up for me rather than, hey, you know, when you're playing in China, there's regulatory, uh, there's regulatory risk. We know that one. It's rather, why did it actually culminate in this outcome when in fact many or certain in, uh, individuals are stating that the company had been forewarned? Yeah, spot on. I mean, one wonders if this ends in securities fraud and, and all sorts of other things down the track. I mean, if management specifically said, oh, there's nothing to worry about, and actually there were things to worry about, then the SEC will not uh, take kindly to that. And once you've listed in the US, then you are basically subjecting yourself to those sorts of laws. So that's going to be an interesting one. I did laugh when I saw the name Huya and the story around the Tencent's merger getting blocked because Huya sounds like the noise that people would have made when they looked at their shares this week. I certainly went Huya a few times when I looked at uh, EOH. Steinhoff. Uh, thankfully, I don't own Tongard because otherwise I really would have the trifecta of awesome. But instead, I'm uh, I'm now 30% down in Steinhoff, which is a real treat. Even Mrs. Ghost looked at me strangely earlier when I showed her a Steinhoff graph and just shook her head at me. But, you know, sometimes you've got to have a go at these sort of speculative punts. I mean, I, I've, it's about 5% of my portfolio. That includes the Alibaba stake, which I'm starting to include in the speculative section of my portfolio. Uh, Mo, do you have like a percentage of your portfolio that is your gambling money or you know or, or your fund money um where you'll put it in stuff that's high risk or do you kind of try and avoid that i mean do you have a section that's like lower risk higher risk how do you think about that in the context of your overall exposure yeah i mean from from time to time you know i think we all tend to look at some speculative positions in the portfolio uh, you look to add some spice i mean i, I very deliberately trimmed a lot of those back uh, earlier this year when in fact, you know, the portfolio wasn't behaving the way I wanted it to behave. There was a lot of biotech stuff in there that I, in all honesty, didn't really know what the underlying company and business case was. And so I did some introspection and I said, no, let's let's go back to basic principles. I want to own companies in industries I, I like, but also companies where I understand the business, I understand the business model. So for example, if I look at something like uh, Huya, as, as you were indicating, it's because we've discussed it. I like gaming as a sector. I like China as a geography. I think it's high growth. So from a macro perspective, it ticks some of those boxes for me. I went into it knowing full well that there was the potential for this merger and that was the upside trade. And sometimes in investment, it doesn't work out. 
You know, if the merger is blocked and unfortunately the investment case or the upside trade doesn't pan out, you've got to obviously assess, was I looking at that as the catalyst to unlock it? Do I still want to hold the company or not? So I don't explicitly carve out a portion of my portfolio and say, hey, this is the really kind of cowboy type stuff. I, I remember having that chat to you when, you when you're looking at Steinoff because it was around the time we did the show on meme stocks and GameStop and all of that stuff. Uh, that, that's not how I look at it. I, I tend to look at it, I, yes, will sometimes add in the higher risk stuff where maybe there's no line of sight of earnings, but it's still a company that has some underlying underpins or fundamental underpins. And that takes, I guess, the smaller portion of my portfolio. And then the, the lion's share of the portfolio does tend to go towards the slightly more boring stuff, the stuff where there's line of sight, decent yields, maybe a bit more of a value flavor in some of those stocks there. Uh, and that's how I tend to construct it. But while we're talking about that, and in the context of China, something I wanted to highlight is even individuals who don't believe in active management, don't believe in stock picking, and if you're just passively buying in an index, if you go and have a look at something like, for example, the, the MSCI Emerging Markets Index, you can't get away from the Chinese risk. Because if, if I look just now at what's, what are your top 10 constituents in that index as it stands right now, number one is Taiwan Semiconductor. Yeah, I was so going to guess that. No, that's not China, but it's, uh, it's susceptible to Chinese geopolitical risk. Number two is Tencent. Okay, number three, and these are in, in, in descending order. So this is number one, number two, number three, Alibaba. Okay, then thereafter, Samsung. So that's Korea. That's not China, but regional risk, maybe. Then Meituan, which is also a Chinese tech stock in the consumer dis discretionary space, followed by Naspers. So I'm not making this up. I'm, I'm just going down a top 10 list. Okay, and then rounding it off all the way down at number nine is China Construction Bank. So if you took the top 10 holdings of the MSCI Emerging Markets Index, we know this. China is the economic juggernaut. It fills up that space. Even in the passive space, you're not escaping some of these larger macro risks. It's why you need to understand them. You need to understand what you're putting in your portfolio. And you've got to be comfortable with that at the end of the day. So interesting. I mean, it's, I, I'm not a big fan generally of ETFs, which people find to be quite an alternative view on the world, but it's because of stuff like this. So it's inevitably market cap weighted. I mean, the fact that, that Tencent and Nuspass are both in the top 10 means you own Tencent twice. You know, in one of them, you just also own a nice annuity on Bob Van Dyke's rather large salary. So, you know, if that appeals to you, then then good luck. Um, <laughs> it's just it's just interesting to me. And And I suppose when it comes to risk, so if someone said to me, well, how would I think about Alibaba now, assuming I had the time to go and build a discounted cash flow on it, which I wish I had. But the way I would look at it is I would go and build out a reasonable discounted cash flow analysis on Alibaba. And then I would try and do a goal-seeking Excel and figure out what discount rate is being used to get back to today's share price. Because that tells you what is being implied in the share price today. And if that discount rate comes back and it looks low, if it's starting to look you know, like a government bond plus a little bit, then it's almost a value stock, which some people are saying it is. And I kind of think it is right now. If it comes back and says, well, you know, actually, to be honest, at this point, there's still a lot of risk in the share price and it might still go down and everything else, then that, that comes back as a, as a different answer. But the one thing I don't do is I don't chase my speculative plays when they are losing. So I have not bought any more Steinoff, even though it's been tempting. I haven't bought any more EOH, even though it's been tempting. I did chase MassMart last year, but I just bought in genuinely too early. And I believed very much that Walmart would not let it fail. And that trade worked out magnificently. So I'm hoping Steinoff and EOH shows me some love as well. But I'll tell you what, Mo, there's another IPO coming that has nothing to do with China. 
which I personally think is going to uh, potentially hurt people, and that is Robin Hood. I don't know if you've had a look at any of the underlying details in there, but I have, and I must tell you, <laughs> I uh, will be steering well clear of an IPO of a company that seems to make a very large portion of its money selling crypto trading data, uh, you know, and, and actually just selling trading data in general. I mean, that is basically the business case there. And, you know, it all comes down to risk. Yes, there's risk in Alibaba. Goodness knows there's risk in Robinhood. And sometimes people throw the baby out with the bathwater. They go, oh, China is uninvestable now. Okay, it's probably not true. It probably is investable. You just have to find out what bits of it are investable. And it's the value stocks within that theme that have taken a knock. And if you can pick those, you'll never get every single one right. But if you can get them right on average, you can do really well and often get very contrarian gains versus the typical sort of index performance. Yeah, so I, I mean, I haven't looked at the detail around around Robin Hood uh, simply because, like I say, you know, I, I I dislike IPOs simply because I think there's so much hype that gets priced into it, and I always see IPOs with with a bit of a skeptic's lens on, saying, you know, it's it's insiders looking for a mechanism to actually extract some of the value and, and move on. And for me, there's no real price exploration until a, a stock's been trading for a little while, and you actually get a proper peak under under the under the hood. In this case, literally a peak under the hood. Being Robin Hood, a, a, a peak under the Robin Hood, indeed. This is a peak under um, the Robin Hood that you don't want to you don't want to take. Let me tell you, because if you have a look at that prospectus, Mo, you will see that there is some frightening stuff in there. That can be uh, that can be some fun reading for you. I'll, I'll definitely check it out. Like you say, you know, if if you haven't made money in a markets business over the last twelve to eighteen months, then it's it's really questionable to say whether you'll ever make money because pretty much any. Any business that makes money off market volatility, market volumes. We had a show where we were discussing banks, investment banks, and how they literally print money in these kind of high volume type of environments. Um, a business like Robinhood should do really well uh, in that context, but maybe that's not the business. Remember, they don't charge commissions. They're selling data. As you say, they sell access to order flow. And there's another risk flag that came up for me with Robin Hood, which is that it appears as though a former member of the SEC is joining the board. Now, the reason I, I, I raise that is that we always laugh at, again, we look at China because we've got a, a certain narrative that comes through and we say, oh, you know, the regulators there or, you know, you look at other emerging markets and you think, oh, you know, is there corruption? Is there an insider-outsider dynamic nepotism? Uh, the same things happen pretty much. And we, we, we touched on some of this uh, in, la in the last show with, with Tracy Davies when we were talking about corporate governance and looking for these kinds of issues. So, yeah, I think... You know, we've got to apply a lens that is is critical in all instances. We've got to understand what some of the risks are. And then for me, it's about calibrating that to your own, both your ability as well as your appetite for risk. You might have a great appetite for risk, but a lower ability for risk. Uh, you need to assess that uh, when crafting and building your portfolio. And then this is also, it's, a, it's an iterative, it's a regular process that you've got to go through to make sure that your portfolio structure resembles what you're comfortable with. Because remember, as certain things run and certain things fall, your overall asset allocation is an evolving living thing. Uh, and so that's kind of, I guess, the last point I'd want to raise in terms of just general construction of the portfolio is that it's, 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 it's this passion project where you've got to constantly stay on top of it. Yeah, and something I want to definitely talk about before we sign off this week, Mo, is, is valuation is everything. I always beat that drum. And at the end of the day, you can look at C Limited, which is a, the Singaporean Tencent, for want of a better description. And it is not cheap. 
And the reason it's not cheap is because people have piled in there because they've been scared of China. Now, the problem is, on balance, is C a safer... If C and, and Tencent cost exactly the same multiple, which one would I choose? Well, I'd buy C all day, but they're not the same multiple. And so it always comes down to price. And we're starting to see it play out in the South African property sector. People have been chasing logistics funds like mad. I look at what funds like Sirius are trading at and I feel a little bit scared for people because when you are paying a premium to book for property funds, then you need to start doing some serious thinking. And likewise, there are other property funds that are at massive discounts to book, in many cases deserved, and in many cases I think the book value is nonsense and the market is sending a very clear message. But if things turn and if the vaccine works beautifully and magically we manage to roll it out and maybe everyone's tired of working from home by the end of next year, there's going to be some normalization there. There's going to be some return to offices and logistics will lose a bit of its shine. And then that entire theme just reverses and the people who bought into logistics at the top are crying and the people who bought into office that no one wanted at the bottom are sinning. And that is value investing at its absolute core is to go and buy the ugly stuff that no one wants. But you've got to you've got to pick the timing and you've got to have a very good thesis as to why this ugly duckling is going to turn into, you know, something beautiful. And that's that's part of the intellectual challenge of the markets. And I think that's part of, of what we both enjoy, certainly part of what I enjoy. And I'm hoping that we're seeing some of that play out in China, which is why I did buy more Alibaba last week. And it is a really risky trade. And uh, as always, we would encourage our listeners, you must go do your own research. You've got to figure this out for yourselves. All Mo and I do is kind of talk about our ideas and the way we think about the world. And hopefully that uh, imparts some knowledge along the way. And we certainly don't always get it right, as I can show you in my portfolio this week. But, uh, you know, the beauty of not trading on leverage, so just buying the shares in a normal way, is that I don't get closed out. Because if I was buying Steinoff on leverage by now, Mrs. Ghost wouldn't be laughing at me. I would have been selling the couch that she's currently sitting on to pay my leverage bill. And that is the that is the beauty uh, of doing it the way, you know, the way it can be done. You don't have to use CFDs. You don't have to use the risky stuff. There's enough risk in these companies already without layering leverage on top. So that would be that would be my thought thought for this week and reflecting on my portfolio and, and how it's all going. Very happy to not be using leverage and hopefully some of these ugly ducklings do work out. Yeah, I think that's very valuable, Ghost. And I mean, my, my parting thought would almost be to to kind of reverse or rewind out of that and just say from from an investment process perspective again, you know, I, I apply both the macro and the micro lens. And the macro lens will tell me thematically I want to be playing in for example, you, you raised logistics and warehousing as a theme. That's been a theme that I've liked for, let's, in fact, if I check back on it, it's probably been the last four to five years. Uh, I think we discussed it on a show as well, where there were a couple of industrial REITs that I liked that I added into the portfolio, simply because I believe that that sector on a relative basis would be outperforming. That's a macro, it's a mega trend. When you go back to your comment around valuation, valuation is always key, uh, because in the long run, Earnings and earnings growth are generally what the performance of the underlying stock should track back towards. Uh, and we've always said the price you pay for something really determines your, your overall return. To your point on leverage, for me, it's not just the question of leverage in the portfolio or buying stocks on margin or not on margin. It's an overall view of leverage. So, for example, if I'm buying a stock, I tend to be hypersensitive to how much leverage exists in the stock, on the balance sheet. And that's simply because, you know, in the same way when you're managing a portfolio, if you're managing a company, your margin for error shrinks 
if your leverage shrinks. And so the more leveraged you are, you have less of a margin for error. And in this kind of a market where there's just so much growth that's priced in, if we go back to how we started this discussion, if we're talking about a Didi or a Tencent or an Alibaba, you're buying China because the market's there, it's large, it's a high growth market. But the question mark is, A, how much growth is priced into it, into that discount factor that you discussed? Uh, is that appropriate or not? And then, you know, if, if something lists and now there's regulatory risk and it's down 20% like a Didi, Go and have a look at the numbers because maybe this might just represent a great buying opportunity for when those regulatory hurdles are eventually overcome and you're then buying into a phenomenal growth story at a much lower price. So I don't know if that's the case with Diddy. It's certainly one I'm going to go and have a look at in a lot more detail. But at a 20% discount to what it was actually at a day ago, uh, if you thought it was a great idea a day ago, it's arguably a great idea at a discount today. Um, on the assumption that those risks, those regulatory risks were part of your investment thesis in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Do your DD. That is the point. DD in this case, due diligence. That's what we encourage our listeners to do. Mo, thank you as ever. It was a fun chat and hopefully the markets aren't a bloodbath for the rest of the week because I'm feeling quite bruised and uh, hopefully our listeners are also surviving this and don't have too many hooyah sounds coming out of their stomachs as they get smacked by their portfolios. So yeah, we'll do this again next week as ever, hopefully after a better week in the markets. Thanks so much, Ghost. Thanks to our listeners. Remember, go out there, give us a great rating, uh, spread the news around Magic Markets. You are what makes this show great. We'll chat to you again next week. Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.